What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Pin Down. I'm your host, Alex, with your other host, Tyler, from Hoop Venue. And, of course, today was the conclusion of the NBA trade deadline at about 3 o'clock today. Uh, the trades officially closed, and there is a lot to talk about, so I figure it just seems logical to go ahead and jump right into the James Harden and Ben Simmons trade between the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, The trade saw uh, Brooklyn sending Paul Millsap and James Harden to the 76ers for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, a 2022, I believe, lottery protected or unprotected 2022 pick and a one through eight protected 2027 first round pick. Uh, So, Tyler, what did you think about this? Well, for me, I mean, I feel like this was kind of inevitable, right? Like everyone knew something was going to happen. There was just too Mm -hmm. much stirring around. And right. I mean, this is, has to be the best possible scenario for both teams because it was pretty likely that James Harden was going to walk in free agency. I'm pretty sure that was like a widely accepted thing. And the 76ers obviously didn't want to overpay because they were like, oh, we can just wait till free agency and do a sign and trade and not have to give up as much besides like just Simmons because the Nets know all about sign and trades after trading D'Angelo Russell for Kevin Durant. So right. I'm sure the Nets didn't want to get caught in that. But the 76ers also didn't want to have to give up too much at the deadline. And I feel like there was a nice balance of the Nets getting their money's worth, I guess, or their what what Harden was worth uh, right. and making improvements to their roster while the 76ers get James Harden in the trade. And I feel right. like this, this feels, as of right now, time only time will tell, but I'm viewing it as kind of a win-win. I don't know about you, but that's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah, uh, in terms of value, and I, I kind of alluded to this a little bit on Twitter. I, I was tweeting about it earlier. From a value perspective, from Philly's side of things, you know, Ben Simmons wasn't even playing for them. So as far as I'm concerned, you don't even take Ben Simmons into account just because he wasn't playing for you. He basically gave up nothing. If he wasn't going to play for you anyways, then you're giving up someone that doesn't play for you. You're giving up nothing by giving up Ben Simmons. Seth Curry... You're essentially replacing Seth Curry with James Harden. Obviously, Seth Curry is going to be more of a, a, a shooting specialist. James Harden brings more playmaking to the table. Uh, he can still shoot threes for the most part. This year's been a little bit of a down year for him. But uh, you're basically replacing Seth Curry with James Harden. And then you're also giving up Andre Drummond, who, to his credit, Andre Drummond has been a pretty good backup big. For, uh, sure. for the Sixers this year. Uh, he, it's not like he's been doing anything spectacular. Uh, he's not really, you know, he's not playing a crazy amount of significant minutes. But in the limited minutes that he's gotten uh, in his role, he's been able to play that pretty well. So really, if you think about it, they gave up Andre Drummond and those two picks. in that 2022 first-round pick, unprotected, you know, f- the 76ers are probably going to land somewhere in the top six in the Eastern Conference. So that pick's going to be meaningless anyways. Uh, it's going to end up being, you know, top 20 pick or uh, <clears throat> 20 to 30 pick. So it's not like that actually hurts them too much. I mean, you'd love to have a first round pick to play around with, but it is what it is. And then the 2027 pick is protected uh, one through eight, which if anything were to happen to Philly between now and 2027, which is, you know, five years away, we have plenty of time until that day comes. Uh, 
they'll be able to recoup that pick if for some reason they were to be a lottery team. Um, so yeah, from a value perspective, I, I, I see it as a win for both sides. Philly really didn't give up that much in the grand scheme of things in terms of like bigger picture macroeconomics perspective. And then Brooklyn, obviously you trade away James Harden and Paul Millsap and it sounds like Paul Millsap and Brooklyn had already agreed that he wasn't going to be playing anymore yeah. and they were going to work on a deal to move him. And Ben Simmons, they get Ben Simmons who for all of his flaws, Ben Simmons can pass. He can he has a limited scoring ability but he can still score the basketball on occasion. And he's one of the best defenders one through five in the NBA. And that's going to be huge for if they run into Milwaukee in a series, because Ben Simmons, no one's going to stop Giannis one-on-one, obviously, but like Ben Simmons physically is one of the best molds to actually slow him down without sending an entire team at him. And exactly. I feel like it for Brooklyn to get out of the East in that path would be Milwaukee. No question. So, um, in order for them to get past Milwaukee, I think having somebody that could defend Giannis like that without uh, changing your entire scheme to just take away his scoring opportunities is huge. Like even last season, I mean, they had Blake Griffin guarding him and like, sure, Blake Griffin actually surprised me with how good he was doing and how he was like forcing Giannis to play less physical with his charge drawing. But like Blake Griffin has clearly fallen off a cliff this season. Like who was, who, if they hadn't made this deal, who was going to guard Giannis? LaMarcus Aldridge? Kevin Durant? Exactly. I mean, I, I feel like Ben Simmons adds so much defensive versatility because now you're going to see some lineups with Kevin Durant at the five. Um, yeah. Because you have Ben Simmons, who's a versatile switching four, and Kevin Durant, who serves best as a secondary rim protector, who is just going to protect the rim at, at a high level. Yeah. So I, for uh, me, it's just so much more versatility defensively. And I know Kyrie's a part time player, but like. They're still gonna add. They're still gonna have a great offense, right? It's a Kevin Durant led right. offense, so it's like, it, it, there's no reason for them to struggle. Yeah, I, I, from Brooklyn's perspective, you think about all the stuff that they gave up for James Harden. So I think in terms of trying to recoup in trading away James Harden, what they originally gave away for him in the first place, I think they did a pretty fair job of of recouping some of those losses, getting Ben Simmons, who's a young player locked up on contract for a long time. And yes, for all of his flaws, Ben Simmons is still a very good basketball player. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with that. He's still a very good basketball player for all of his flaws. They get some picks that 2022 unprotected, which again, doesn't hold a ton of value, assuming Philly lands in the top six in the East, Uh, but still a good pick to have. You can play around with it in the offseason. Um, and then that 2027 first-round pick, uh, protected one through eight, you know, who knows what that pick's going to turn into. Um, but with this trade, uh, I do have some concerns with Joel Embiid and James Harden playing together. Um, I've seen a lot of people kind of gushing about the idea of a James Harden and Joel Embiid pick-and-roll. And, you know, oh, Joel Embiid screening for James Harden. You know, that sounds really nice in theory. Uh, It's a fun thought to think about. But I don't think a lot of people realize that Joel Embiid has never really been that kind of big man. And And, he... Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I wonder... This It's kind of like an experimental thing because I wonder how much of that actually has to do with 
Philly never having a perimeter creator, you know? Right. Like, was right. he going to get into a high pick and roll with Ben Simmons? I mean, Tyrese Maxey, granted, is a good creator, but, like, I don't think we've ever seen Joel Embiid be given the opportunity to play with someone who can just score at the level that James Harden has from the perimeter. And I think yeah. that might unlock that dimension of his game. I mean, like I said, it's an experiment. But um, right. it'll be interesting to see that dynamic for sure. I agree. Yeah. Um, moving on to another trade. Uh, <laughs> I am still trying to wrap my head around this. I've seen so many people trying to rationalize this trade. And I'm really, really struggling to. Uh, other than some kind of tinfoil hat conspiracy theories as to why this trade might have taken place. But Kristaps uh, Porzingis to the Wizards is just something that came out of left field to me. I, I, I didn't see that coming, uh, especially for the return that they got. They got Spencer Dinwiddie and uh, Davis Bertans. I don't like this trade, and maybe I'm not big brain enough to see why it's actually a good trade. Maybe I'm just not woke enough, but I, I don't get this trade. I, re- I really don't. Uh, what do you think of it? I just don't even know what the angle is. It's like... I, I don't even want to say it's good or bad because I've like I said I have no idea what to even make of it like well, it was so random like the Mavericks have been rolling Porzingis has been their best rim protector on a top five defense or top six defense whatever they are and right it's just like out of nowhere by the way yeah he's going to Washington we're, we're getting Spencer Dinwiddie I don't I don't even know what the rest of the package was I know it was Davis Bertans and and there were a couple other things, like a second round pick most, but like yeah, overall it was mostly it just, just filler. it's like has me scratching my head what the goal was here, what they're trying to achieve, because Dimwitty, uh, for lack of better term, has been completely abysmal this season. Um, no, he's been terrible. Horrible, like like not even playable. Um, Bertans is shooting like 32% from three when that's like his only skill. So, I mean, I, I, I just don't, I don't know what they're trying to do and isn't Bertans on contract for like years after this like 17 mil a year for like four years or something like that i'm i'm pretty sure both of them are are on longer term contracts i i don't think i don't think either of them are expiring deals i'm gonna fact check myself real quick so i don't look like an idiot but uh, yeah it's like yeah it's it's my understanding that they're not expiring so when i first saw the trade i was like oh they're trying to get off of porzingis contract that makes sense okay but then it's like Oh no, they got two worse ones. So Right. What are they he trying is not to like, ex- neither neither of them are expiring. Right. So what are they trying to drive Luca out of town or something? I I don't unless Luca was the one that signed off on this cuz I remember there was a little bit of drama with them too earlier well, in the season. Well, that kind of that kind of leads into the conspiracy theory tinfoil hat thing I was talking about. I I've been talking to a couple group chats and I mean, it's it's entirely possible that Luca was just done done with Porzingis and he doesn't want to play with him anymore. And they were like, I don't care who you get. Uh, just get Porzingis off the team. I mean, yeah, that makes I don't sense. know. I mean, and I don't know how much credence that has, but. And the thing for me is Porzingis not being able to buy into a role with his strengths because I, in a vacuum, I think Porzingis skill wise is a very productive player, but it's like, yeah, it's just the random stuff that he's not good at that. Like they're trying to force like, Porzingis post-ups will never be good offense. It, it, it'll just right. never happen. And he's he, what he is really good at? Cutting. Uh, I mean, he's a good shooter. He's a, he's, a, he's a great rim runner. He's very athletic. He's good on the offensive glass. Um, mm-hmm. Things like that. And then it's like, oh, by the way, we're going to uh, have you 
post up for 25% of your possessions. And it's like, like this year, his post ups are generating under 0.9 points per possession. And it's yeah. his most used play play type. What is that? And yeah. I don't think that's even Dallas's offense. I think that's just Porzingis not knowing what he's good at. Just not knowing his role. And it's almost, it's just like, from there I can see the angle of frustration from Luka. Like, this guy will not do what he's supposed to. Because the, the style of play that Porzingis has should be amazing next to Luka. A seven foot three big who can shoot is great at rim running and cutting and can grab offensive boards. Like, that's awesome. But then you have him posting up and Luca's just sitting on the perimeter, and it's like, this is not good offense because you know Porzingis is going to do some dinky turnaround fade. He can't pass. Um, Right. So it's just like, what what are we doing, you know? And from that angle, like I said, I I see why they want to get rid of him, but like, the return just makes no sense. Like, at that point, just. Trade Porzingis and try and get like some picks out of it. Dinwiddie and Davis yeah. Bertans. By the way, I don't know if it's Bertans or Bertans, but either way, I, I don't know how to say it. Yeah, same difference. Um, he's right. not Porzingis, and he's not going to f- f- be better than Porzingis. So I don't really, it, like I said, I don't know if it's a, a win or a loss for either team really. Because what's he going to do in Washington? They're trying to rebuild, but it's like right. Um, it just has me scratching my head. Like I just don't even know what the angle is. Yeah. A couple, a couple things that I, I've seen used as, as reasonings as to why this could be a good trade. Um, kind of some mental gym, gymnastics that I've seen thrown around is that, you know, it sounds like the Knicks really, really, really want Jalen Brunson this offseason. And there's a good chance that the Mavs just don't want to pay him. Um, so by, by acquiring Spencer Dinwiddie, you fill the hole of Jalen Brunson, but Yikes. I mean, again, how much how much better at this point is at this point how much better is uh, how much better is Spencer Dinwiddie than Jalen Brunson, if he's at not, all? I mean, Jalen Jalen Brunson he's has not, been fantastic I, this year. I, I feel comfortable saying Jalen Brunson is better with a very large margin of like margin. Like, I don't even think they're comparable as players. I think Jalen yeah. Brunson has to be a priority for Dallas, and maybe. I, see, see, I want to say maybe they were trying to get rid of Porzingis so they could pay Brunson, but like they brought in, d- d- I, I don't know. I, I it's just yeah, I, I, I just don't weird, get it. It's a weird trade. I, I don't get it. <laughs> so bouncing back in time a little bit, uh, since we're we're recording this on Thursday, bouncing back, uh, we should probably start off with uh, the CJ McCollum trade before we go on to anything else. Uh, CJ McCollum going to the New Orleans Pelicans. And for New Orleans, I absolutely love this trade. And at first, I absolutely hated it. Uh, But now that I've had more time to digest it, see everything that they got in return, uh, I really, really like this trade. Um, I think CJ McCollum, although he's he's been in the two spot for pretty much the, the last amount of his career that I can even remember, I, I don't think he was ever running point guard uh full time but i do think he will be capable of running that one spot in new orleans uh which kind of alleviates some of the pressure that Devonte graham has had to brunt and Devonte graham while i do think he he is a decent facilitator i don't think he's quite as good of a facilitator as, as cj mccollum is i think cj mccollum brandon ingram and zion if he comes back that's more than enough playmaking brandon ingram is having the best playmaking season of his entire career cj mccollum has always been a solid reasonably good playmaker 
Uh, I think he'll be able to run the pick and roll just fine. I think he'll be able to kick out, um, find guys uh, cutting. I really don't have many concerns about you know the positional requirements of and the positional you know quote unquote drawbacks that could come with CJ McCollum running your one spot. So that potentially leaves New Orleans with a starting five. You know if Zion comes back of CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, Zion, and Jonas Valanciunas. And to me, in the Western Conference this year, that's pretty easily a playoff team. Like that's that to me, they could easily grab a playoff spot. Not even just the play-in. If if Zion comes back sooner rather than later, and things just kind of click for them, there's no reason that they can't creep their way up into the sixth seed. Definitely, definitely. And I'm glad you mentioned the playmaking point because CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram are both perimeter creators, and mm-hmm. That's already a very valuable trait. But then you have Zion who like, I mean, one of the best ways you can possibly create an advantage in the NBA is by getting to the where the defense is most vulnerable and that's in the paint. I mean, that's that's how teams have countered the Jazz. They force Rudy Gobert to play in the paint and then hit, hit, hit shooters, right? And right. the ability to get into the heart of the defense like that continues to be so valuable. We saw it with LeBron James for years. We see it with Giannis. We see it with John Morant. Zion's no different. He gets to the rim every single time he wants, whether it's off a first step, whether it's off a post up, whether it's off the ball as a role man. He is always at the rim and he's one of the best finishers the game's ever seen just at however old he already is. And it's like that is just such an interesting dynamic where you have CJ McCollum, who is one of the better perimeter self creators in the entire league and a capable Mm -hmm. facilitator. Brandon Ingram, who, like you said, has taken massive leaps as a playmaker over the past two seasons and is a legitimately good offensive number one who won't even have to be a number one. I mean, right. think about Brandon. Think about the idea of Brandon Ingram as your tertiary creator. That is ridiculous. Oh that is ridiculous. And it's like he's just such a talented passer and scorer that him as your tertiary creator is just amazing offense. And then, of course, you have Zion working around the basket and on top of that, they fixed the issues with last year's roster. Think about New Orleans. They had like a, a great offense with Zion on the floor, and that's with them mucking up everything in the paint. I mean, right. Steven Adams was the starting five. Now mm-hmm. you have Valanciunas. You added Larry Nance, who also was more than capable of playing on the perimeter, not only on offense, on both ends of the floor. Can play the 3-5 three, right. three, and mm-hmm. is a great passer. So, yep. like... I, I don't want to I don't really know where the Pelicans stack up on it from a talent standpoint, but in terms of lineup versatility on both ends of the floor, they might be the most versatile roster in the league right now. Like they can do anything on both ends. Right. Like, they just have no shortage. It feels like what, what stands out. There's not really a flaw on the roster. Like no. when you look at them, no. you don't really point out like, oh, they need to fix this. They need to get better at this. This is a glaring hole. Like right. They just they're so versatile, and I just think like you said. With the way the West is right now, if Zion comes back, they could easily shoot up into that top eight. No question. Yeah. And, and from a from a spacing perspective, it's this this lineup is about as good as you want for a Zion Williamson return. I mean, CJ McCollum can shoot the three ball. He's kind of having a down year right now, but he's still I, I he's still a, a more than capable three point shooter. Brandon Ingram, obviously, great three point shooter. He's kind of having, you know, not as great of efficiency uh, uh, during the season as a whole, but uh, last 10 games, he's been a lot better. Uh, Herb Jones, who 
has been a great three-point shooter this year, great stretchable wing, 3 and D wing, and a really good cutter and really good at getting to the basket. So you've got those three. Zion Williamson, who doesn't really have a ton of stretchability right now, who knows if that part of his game is going to develop and to what extent it ever will develop. But, you know, Zion Williamson is a great facilitator, and we saw a little bit of it last year. And then Jonas Valanciunas, who has been a 40% three-point shooter this year on 2.3 attempts per game, which for a, for a big man, that's really, really good. And so you you flirt with this idea of Zion Williamson coming back into the fold for this team. You're going to get to see some really interesting lineups going on. I mean, you're going to have Zion bringing the ball up the floor with CJ McCollum working off ball, Jonas Valanciunas and Herb Jones setting screens for, you know, Brandon Ingram and CJ to get open on the perimeter. Uh, CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram have been uh, good mid-range scorers throughout their career so far, and they're getting better, or Brandon Ingram particularly is getting better. And, you know, the spacing in this lineup for Zion to bring the ball up the floor and and cut to the rim and kick out the shooters is looking really, really, really good. And I'm super excited to watch this team, even if Zion does not come back this season. I, I still think this team is solidly a play-in team without Zion. Sure. And then yeah. with Zion, it's kind of like, you know, the sky's the limit at that point. You've got two all-star caliber guys in CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram. You've got one of the best stretch bigs and post-scoring bigs in the NBA and Jonas Valanciunas, who can also operate as a rim runner. You've got Herb Jones, who's looking like he's developing into one of the better 3 and D wings in the NBA, who can guard legitimately, you know, provide help defense. He can guard, you know, three through five right now, could potentially start being capable of guarding one through five very, very effectively. And then you've got Zion Williamson, potentially coming back into the fold who, you know, he was a 27 point per game score last year on the best efficiency since Shaquille O'Neal. Yep. So yeah. you, you get that um, team in the playoffs and honestly, I don't want to face him. It's ridiculous. I mean, it doesn't get talked about that Zion put up 27 points on 65% true shooting Absurd. in his second season with bad spacing. Granted, keep in mind, 70% of his field goal attempts uh, come in the paint. Bad spacing. And he's yeah. putting up scoring numbers that rival, like, the best players ever. Yeah. At age 20. I mean, who's to say he comes back and he's not putting up 30, 10, and 6? Right. I mean, that's probably a bit unrealistic, but is it? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, who even knows what he's going to look like? And it's like, I mean, the guy is just... No one can guard him. Anyone who's fast enough to stay in front of his first step from the elbow uh, isn't big enough to stop him at the rim. Anyone that's big enough to stop him at the rim is not quick enough to stay in front of him. The guy is, Mm -hmm. like, legitimately unguardable. And every game it felt like he played, he got better and better at passing the ball. So when they load up on those drives, he's going to make the play. And I don't even think it's the same dynamic as Giannis. Like, don't get me wrong, Giannis is a phenomenal offensive player. But I think Mm -hmm. Zion, his potential as an offensive player is like multiple levels above that because of like just the counters, the counters at the rim. (coughs) Sorry. When you would see Giannis um, load up from the top of the key and look to slash and get downhill, the wall would form and Giannis would counter obviously with a kick out. And that would see his playoff scoring numbers seeing sort of a decline. 
Whereas Zion usually starts his attack from like 10 feet out and you never know when he's going to take that first step. He's not setting right. up a slash. He's getting the ball and instantly attacking off the off the uh, block. And it's like, yeah, and his post game is already so polished. It's almost like a blend of Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal. And it's ridiculous. I mean, the guy is just like, I mean, we throw the, the term generational around quite a bit, but this guy is clearly generational offensively. And... 100%. Defensively, he's defensively he's very flawed. Don't get me wrong; he's a, an abysmal defender. But you're, right. when you're putting him next to Herb Jones, Larry Nance Jr., I mean, well, you're covering I, up a lot of holes with that. And and you're adding so much versatility. Like you can run a lineup with Zion at the four, Larry Nance at the five, and Herb Jones at the three, and like you're not giving up anything. Like there's no there's no flaw no. there. Like you're not size isn't an issue because they're so versatile. It's like this lineup just has so many, this team in general just has so many different possibilities. And we haven't even mentioned Tony Snell, the best player on the roster. I mean, hasn't missed a free throw in like two years or something like that. 100. Like, come on, what are we doing? (laughs) Tony Snell. No, but seriously, Uh, this is just such a good roster. I mean, I'm just so excited to see Zion come back and hopefully like he stays healthy and, they make a playoff push because this team would be very exciting. I mean, I think I think the world at this point with what we've dealt with over the past few years deserves <laughs> a Pelicans and Grizzlies playoff yes. series. Yes. Let's make it happen. So uh, outside of that trade, which happened prior to today, uh, that was probably the, one, uh, the second, first or second biggest trade that happened prior to today, Thursday, the day of the trade deadline. Uh, The second or first, depending on how you want to rank it, that happened prior to today was the Tyrese Halliburton and DeMontis Sabonis trade that saw uh, Buddy Heald, Tyrese Halliburton, Tristan Thompson being shipped off to Indiana uh, with DeMontis Sabonis, Justin Holliday, and who was the third player included in that trade? It was was Jeremy Lamb. I'm blanking. Jeremy Lamb, that's what it was. So, uh, DeMontis Sabonis, Justin Holliday, and Jeremy Lamb heading to Sacramento. And this is one of the few trades that we've gotten to see uh, a player on their new team in action. We haven't gotten to see Tyrese play for Indiana yet, uh, but we got to see DeMontis Sabonis alongside De'Aaron Fox last night. And personally, I liked what I saw a lot. I thought the dynamic between those two was fantastic. Uh, They... They looked to be on the same page. Uh, there were a few slip-ups uh, right off the bat. Uh, De'Aaron Fox and, and DeMontis Sabonis, uh, when he was playing out of the high post, he was making some some interesting passes to start. But throughout the game, as it progressed, he was finding cutters. He was uh, throwing the ball from the other side of the court to three-point shooters. He was finding De'Aaron Fox and, and allowing him space to, to get to the rim and this dynamic, I really think, is going to work a lot better than most people gave it credit for, and even I gave it credit for to start. Uh, when this trade first happened, I had a lot of concerns about their spacing, which I still do, and I think they're valid concerns, but I do think DeMontis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox are going to work really, really well together. And I don't think people realize, you know, De'Aaron Fox has never played with a big that can score in the post as effectively as Sabonis can. He's a plus 70% shooter at the rim for the past, I don't know how many years. He's got probably 
top five deepest post-move bags in the NBA, not to get too ball don't stop on you here, but, you know, his bag of post-moves and his post-footwork is really 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 good and it was never really able to be showcased in indiana to a crazy extent one because it's indiana two because there were some other mouths to feed on that team but he is a really really solid post scorer so you couple that post scoring with his ability to play make out of the post and find cutters and kick out to three-point shooters and his ability to screen for guys and get them open you know this is a this is a good match, honestly. And while there are valid concerns about the spacing, I know, I know. I still think it's going to work out better and could potentially get them into a playoff spot. And from there, you know, we'll see what happens after that. Yeah. And I think one of the problems with this trade and how it was viewed is that I, I genuinely don't think a lot of people watched Sabonis over the past couple of years. I think he, he got hit with a label of empty stats, and that was that. When he's always been a very impactful player. I Right right when yeah. the trade happened, I actually made a, a film thread like detailing what his strengths as a player and why I think the Pacers uh, didn't utilize him properly. I mean, this guy is – I mean, he's on a short list of the best rollers in the entire NBA. Um, mm-hmm. And he screens all the time. So, like – I think people underestimate how much of an advantage the pick and roll actually is. Like it's the most dynamic play in the entire NBA and in all of basketball, really. And it just continues to evolve. So when you have a guy like Sabonis, who's always engaged as a screener, is one of the best rollers in the league and has the decision-making and passing ability that he has, I mean, pairing him with any perimeter creator is going to show great results. I think, mm-hmm. sure, he does have some great post uh play and uh, obviously you can play play make out of the post at a high level but like i don't think post like post dominance was ever his strong suit and i think playing off another perimeter creator as like a roller screener decision maker short roll guy is always the best way to use him and next to De'Aaron fox i think that's gonna be huge whereas in indiana they didn't really have an offense going it was kind of just like toss this bonus and let him do a dribble handoff or let him uh, post up or, or just there was no direction. And right. it led to Sabonis leading the league in touches or, or passes, sorry, leading the league in passes per game by like a huge margin because they would just give him the ball and just have him pass to somebody. Like there was no offense. And now when you have an actual structure where De'Aaron Fox is the primary creator and offensive option and Sabonis is playing off of him, I think – the results are going to speak for themselves. I mean, how many points did they score last night in their first game together? Uh, it was like 132 or something like that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And that's without mentioning, I mean, what else Sabonis can do? The offensive glass. I mean, the guy is yeah. fifth in the NBA currently <clears throat> in points off of offensive rebounds. Ridiculously good working around the glass and putting it back because, like you said, back-to-back season shooting 75% inside the paint. Um, the guy is one of the best finishers in the game. And... A guy like De'Aaron Fox creates a lot of offensive rebounds. He does a lot of that pick-and-roll, probe-in-the-mid-range, look-for-a-floater type of offense that usually leads to high-arcing offensive rebounds. And having a guy like Sabonis who can just clean those up every time and and put them back up, I mean, I genuinely think that people really underrated this move from Sacramento. And the reason they underrated it 
is because they had to get rid of Halliburton, which is the big controversy. Right. <laughs> yeah, and and on the topic of Halliburton and Indiana as a whole going forward after making this trade, um, I am surprised to see that they didn't move Miles Turner. Uh, I think that was interesting, and um, I, I do think it's cool that we're going to get to see Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald alongside Miles Turner and Malcolm Brogdon. Um, so that is going to be a, a fun dynamic to see unfold and see how it works for them. Uh, but with Tyrese, I am glad that with this trade, it looks like he's going to be put in a position where he is really, really valued as an offensive engine and he will be allowed to display his playmaking ability uh, to its fullest because you watch the Rashawn Holmes and Tyrese Halliburton pick and roll who Zach Lowe uh, referred to the Tyrese and Holmes pick and roll as the secret handshake of diehard NBA fans. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton is a fantastic pick and roll playmaker. uh, And while Miles Turner isn't really the best pick and roll big man, I do think eventually down the road, Indiana will probably put someone alongside Tyrese Halliburton that can operate in that capacity with him. And I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see him have an opportunity to, to really blossom as a playmaker and as a scorer because he was sharing a lot of shots with De'Aaron Fox. He was sharing a lot of shots with Harrison Barnes. He was sharing shots with uh, Rashawn Holmes, who, you know, obviously not the biggest scorer in the world, but um, his shots at the rim were probably one of the more effective shots for that team as a whole. So now he's going to kind of have this opportunity to see truly what he's capable of as a scorer and grow from there because I, I do think there is some overrating going on with people with Tyrese Halliburton. I think some people viewed him as a franchise cornerstone, uh, this guy who's going to eventually be a superstar. And personally, for me, I don't see that as his ceiling. And that's not a diss on him. It's just personally, I don't see him as that. Um, from what we've seen so far, I don't think that's a realistic expectation. But the idea that he could eventually become, you know, like a 19 and 10, 20 and 10 kind of guy uh, making all-star teams with, with, with solid defense, uh, perennially making all-star teams, I, I think that that's not too unrealistic to me. I think that's entirely possible. So while the Pacers did end up giving up Sabonis, who is a very good NBA player, what they got back in return with Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton and I guess Tristan Thompson, I don't know, whatever. That's a whatever acquisition to me. I don't really care. Uh, but as a whole, I think the Pacers set themselves up really nicely. Yeah, and I I do really like Halliburton's game. Like the guy's more already one of the best pull up shooters in the game. He's mm-hmm. one of the He's efficient lo- from literally everywhere. Yeah, and he's so low error. Like the mm-hmm. dude doesn't turn the ball over. He, he maximizes his touches very well. And I do think he's going to be a very good offensive generator for years while being a positive defender. Like, he's going to be a legitimately great two-way guard, I think. I don't think anyone's yeah. denying that. But the way people are talking, I mean, you would think Michael Jordan just got traded after the 86 playoffs where he averaged 44 points per game. I mean, right? they're, they're saying it's like they're, – they're, they're saying Sacramento is like – that basically should, should just blow it up now because of that trade. And – Sure, you could say it's questionable to to take a leap of faith there, but like, I I think people are forgetting that Tyrese Halliburton is not a proven superstar yet. Right. He he he's shown flashes. Don't get me wrong; he has amazing potential. But like, 
people were saying the king's front office is stupid for choosing Fox over him when Fox has already shown more to this point. Granted, mm-hmm. Halliburton can be better than Fox. Uh, will he be? We don't know. But did, did people just forget that Fox averaged 25 and 7 last season while being one of the best finishing guards ever? Um, I, I feel like that just kind of got glossed over. Like, yeah, Fox came into this year a little slow. Um, he didn't just have one of the greatest finishing seasons from a guard we've ever seen. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know where where that, that logic went when evaluating the trade. And I don't see this as a major loss for the Kings. And I don't see it as a loss for the Pacers at all. I think the Pacers clearly wanted to enter a rebuild. They've got their guy. I don't know what's going on with the rest of the roster. Like, I don't know what's going on with TJ Warren. Uh, he hasn't been seen in a long time. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon right. still hurt. He'll probably return pretty soon. And then, like you said, Miles Turner. So, we don't really know what's going on. But, like, Chris Duarte, uh, Tyrese Alberton, some of the other young guys they've got and the picks they have, I think they've done – that's how you start a rebuild. They've done it right. Yeah. They've done everything mm-hmm. right to this point. And they've got assets to work with. Right, exactly. And I don't see – I don't think the Kings – lost this trade either i think they want to win now and sure they're not going to compete for a championship but like they they can sneak into a play-in spot i wouldn't be surprised if they make the play in the season or the next season sabonis Mm -hmm. is just 25 i think people forget that he's a two-time all-star sure but he's not a vet by any means he still has room to grow and especially with his skill set his type of style of play i mean he could be good for a long time so I, I don't really see this as a loss. I mean, this could come back and bite me when Tyrese Albert's averaging 30 and 12 or whatever. I mean, who knows? But like like you said, a perennial, perennial 20 and 10 guy with good defense, uh, one of the best outside shooters in the game, and just a very low error ball handler is where I see this guy ending up. And for me, the Pacers got their money's worth. I mean, that was a good trade. They, they really have started this rebuild successfully. And... I don't know what where they're gonna go from here. Brogdon Brogdon can't stay very long. He's not he's not uh, very young, and he can contribute to a contender immediately in multiple ways. So mm-hmm. I feel like this offseason we'll see some Brogdon moves happen. Don't know what's gonna happen with T.J. Warren, but um, yeah, I'm really excited to see where Indiana goes from here because they're probably gonna have a very good draft pick this year too. Right. So moving on to one of the more minor trades, and we don't have to spend too much time on this, but uh, one of the more minor trades was uh, Derek White going to the Boston Celtics, uh, and they also acquired Daniel Tice as well in a separate trade. But as far as their success in this trade deadline, I'm I'm pretty happy with this for them. I think Derek White is going to be able to come in and contribute at a pretty high level uh, immediately. I think it shores up their depth a little bit and... Uh, makes a lot more sense from a roster perspective. Uh, Daniel Tice, you know, while not the greatest backup big man in the league, I'm not sure how much he really provides, but he does have some proven, some level of proven success with the Celtics. So I do think, you know, for them, they got better. And for how, how much better they've been as a team over the past month or so, uh, they've been like top, top 10 in net rating and top 10 in defensive rating over the past month or something like that. I think this trade is great for them. They're getting a, another another guy in Derek White that can play some defense, that can can score relatively well, uh, can facilitate a little bit. Um, 
And then you're also getting Daniel Tice, who who gives you a backup big or even a starting big if, if that's the route that they want to go and put Al Horford coming off the bench. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. But regardless, um, to me, this was a success for them. I like what they did uh, in terms of making somewhat aggressive moves to try and try and get better heading into the playoffs. I absolutely love the Derek White move for Boston. Like I, I'm so mm-hmm. excited to talk about this because – Derek White has been one of the most slept on defensive players I mean I've ever seen. This guy is an animal on the defensive end. He's so good. And mm-hmm. the Celtics have the number 2 defense in the NBA right now. So like taking the number 2 defense where you already have one of the best guard defenders in the game in Marcus Smart and adding mm-hmm. Derek White who can play the point of attack but also is just a phenomenal off-ball defender and one of the better rim protecting guards in the entire league. This has to be, again, we brought up versatility with the Pelicans. Just offensively, this has to be the most versatile lineup in the league. We're talking about Marcus Smart, Derek White, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Robert Williams, and Al Horford as your as your top six. That is, I mean, th- that defense is ridiculous. They're already number two, like I said, and adding Derek White, who from an impact metric standpoint this year has been all defensive level on the Spurs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I think it's ridiculous. I mean, how do you even like, like think about like Chris Paul, you know, he's a guy who hunts switches quite a bit. I mean, even in the finals, he was hunting for Giannis as opposed to uh, Chris Middleton or whoever was guarding him, Drew Holiday, whoever was guarding him at the time. Who can you hunt on the Celtics? No matter if you're Chris Paul, if you're Trey Young, Trey Young whoever, you're either matched up with Marcus Smart or Derek White or Jalen Brown at the point of attack. Three guys. You don't want Tatum. You don't mm-hmm. want Williams. You don't want Horford. I mean, this team is just so versatile defensively. And like you said, Derek White isn't uh, a bad offensive player by any means. He can score. He's a, a, a very uh, quality passer as well. The guy right now is averaging 5.6 assists and just 1.8 turnovers. Um, so, again, a very low error facilitator. On an offense where he's like the number four, essentially, now yeah. in Boston, while being one of the best perimeter defenders in the game. I absolutely love this move. And for me, I understand the Spurs got a first out of it, but like, I, I didn't understand it. I thought it was a little crazy. I mean, Derek White, I guess, yeah, you're looking to rebuild Derek White's 27. I guess I can see where you get a first round out of that. But man, Boston, they just made a huge move. And don't be surprised if they go on like, I'm, if you remember last year, after the Hawks hired McMillan, they won in that crazy run that took them straight into the postseason. Um, yeah. Uh, Boston could do that this year. I mean, how, how, how many games are they behind the top right now? They are Not four and a half all. games behind the one seed. Four and a half. And I think they're going to close out the season at an extremely high level. Over the last 10 or 15 games or whatever, they've had the number one net rating in the NBA, even better than Phoenix. And now making this drastic improvement, I I believe, will take them to a top four or five seed. Uh, I I can see them being a home court team come playoff time for sure. And I just absolutely love this move. Yeah, I I think it was great for them. And it was good to see them be aggressive and and not kind of fizzle out in in a trade deadline scenario this year. You have to be aggressive. If, if, if you're not aggressive, a lot of teams don't seem to realize this, and it's something that frustrates me is 
when you're in a position, especially for the Celtics, and I'm not saying that they're going to go on and win a championship immediately or anything like that, but when you're in a situation like this where you have you have that kind of star player with Jason Tatum, you've got Jalen Brown, who's another star player, uh, you can put them on whatever tiers you want, but if you're not aggressive heading into the trade deadline, you're just going to end up holding the bag and wondering, man, I wish we would have traded for this guy, or I wish we would have, you know, been willing to sacrifice a pick or been willing to sacrifice these young, these young pieces in order to, you know, make a move at the trade deadline. And the Celtics did that, which I think a lot of teams for whatever reason are so scared to do. And they don't realize, you know, if you don't make that move, you're going to end up regretting it, especially if you're in a position like the Celtics are where you've been getting better throughout the season. You know, now's the time. Make the move. Get the extra talent and then figure it out. 100%. And I think that's a that's a, a problem we see with a lot of teams who are looking to compete, whether it's in the future or in the present, is complacency. I mean, look at Golden State right now. Granted, Golden State might be the favorites to win the title, and they very well could win the title, but it feels like they were complacent. Why did they not go after at least a quality big man? Because one of their problems this year has been getting mashed up with size and Bielitsa is getting center minutes. Um, the, the Lakers, <laughs> um, I don't even I, I don't even know what to say about the Lakers, honestly. I mean, complacency yeah, they were- undersells it. <laughs> I mean, well, who gets complacent when you're when you're 26 and 30? <laughs> what are they doing? What? what? Yeah, I, I, I guess they're gonna try and wait for the off season, which it's whatever. Maybe the, maybe their thought process was this season's over. We're not gonna win. Let's not force it. But like complacency, back getting back on topic a little bit, is a huge issue we see with a lot of teams. The Hawks are another good one. They made no moves in the off season after they made the Eastern Conference Finals, and look at them now. They got complacent. Right. They thought they could get it done with those pieces, which clearly, sure, they were a great team. They weren't going to win a title with that roster. And right. it's just teams become become complacent. And I'm pretty sure Brad Stevens, the GM for Boston now, um, amazing moves. Like, good job. Yeah. Great job. Yeah. Like, I, I love it. And I just I just think Boston uh, has become underrated. And – I think now that they're, people are seeing their name floating around this free agency thing and them shooting up in the standings or trade deadline, sorry, not free agency, trade deadline and them going up in the standings steadily, they're going to make some noise. And I think pretty soon people are going to start talking about them as legitimate Eastern Conference contenders. Yeah, I, I'm with you. So the last topic, and you kind of hinted at it, but the last topic that I think we're going to talk about today is going to be the Lakers and the fact that, you know, they didn't make any moves at all. They made zero moves heading into the trade deadline. Uh, They are stuck with Russell Westbrook until the offseason unless somehow they manage to negotiate a buyout, which seems nearly impossible to me. Uh, And... I talked about it a little bit on Twitter, but there weren't really any moves for them to make with the assets that they had. I mean, you've got Malik Monk, who you're not going to trade at this point, considering he's been probably the third best player on your team. Uh, You've got Talon Horton Tucker, who somehow still holds a modicum of value. Uh, and then you've got your picks, and it sounds like they weren't really willing to, to part ways with those picks. And... 
I agree that, you know, you head into the off season and you make moves from there and you figure it out. But also, you've got a 37-year-old LeBron James. He's not getting any younger. And we, we clearly haven't seen him fall off too much as a player. He's, he's still been incredibly effective and, you know, very, very, very good. But we don't know when that quote-unquote decline is going to come. So that's a gamble that you're taking heading into this offseason without, you know, you, you don't know what LeBron's going to look like next year. You know, what are you going to do if he starts declining and then you're stuck with Russell Westbrook still uh, because he's obviously going to accept that player option? You've got Anthony Davis, who, while he has looked fantastic since coming back, he's also injury prone, and we all know that. So now you're kind of like... Well, we've got all these role players. We've got Trevor Ariza and Avery Bradley. And also, just real quick, I want to say, can teams stop signing slash trading for Trevor Ariza? Because <laughs> he is he, his name is better than his actually actual play on the court. For some reason, everyone talks about Trevor Ariza like he's this fantastic 3 and D wing. And I'm sorry, but he's just not that anymore. You know, it's a damn maybe shame because he, he, he was really yeah. good just a few years no, ago. Oh, for sure. You can come off your bench, you know, your ninth or tenth man, fine, whatever. Bring Trevor Ariza to play some some crappy minutes at the end of the second when you're up big or something like that. But my goodness, can teams stop signing Trevor Ariza? And kind of the same goes for Avery Bradley. You know, he's he's had his <laughs> moments this year, but oh, man. these oh, these, man. these these teams, man, just signing these these you know, three and D players off of name alone. I'm like, okay, they're on, they're on the vet men for a reason. There's a reason another team didn't give them 10, 15 mil a year. There's a reason for that. It's because they're not nearly the players that their name suggests. So anyways, that got me a little off topic there, but they've got all these guys on vet men's, which makes it already really hard to trade. If you're not trading one of your top three guys, uh, contract wise, you've got all these guys on vet men's. You got Taylor Horton Tucker, uh, who is on, you know, a somewhat tradable contract, but there's a question of how much value he actually holds as a long-term asset. So they didn't really have a ton of moves that they could make. And now it's going to be really interesting to see what happens the rest of the year because the way it stands right now, unless something changes, there's a chance they don't even make the playoffs. I mean, that's entirely possible. It sounds insane to say that, but it is entirely possible that the Lakers do not make the playoffs this year. Yep, it's 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 very possible, and it's just it's just everything gone wrong. The front office gone wrong. The coaching gone wrong. The rotations, mm-hmm. the, the scheme gone wrong. The players gone wrong. It's just... It's a culmination of everything just going wrong at the same time, and it's just hard to look at. But I'm gonna I'm gonna give the slightest appreciation to Trevor Ariza because I think he might be the only player on the entire roster that actually makes basic defensive rotations off the ball. So shout out to that's Trevor fair. Ariza. That's shout out to Trevor. That's Ariza. totally fair. However, who I will not give any credit to is Avery Bradley. I could go. Oh on my an, gosh! I could go on an entire podcast episode about Avery Bradley, but I'll keep it at this. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a player get so much credit for reputation in my life. He can't even defend the point of attack anymore, and that's the reason he gets minutes. Yeah. He he doesn't score. He's not a good passer. He's mm-hmm. not a good off-ball defender, and he's at best an average point of attack defender. He played 35 minutes last night. What are we doing? What oh my gosh. 
are we doing? This is just, I don't even know what to say. It's just the Lakers, they're, they're in a hole that they cannot get out of. They, there's nothing they can do at this point besides just wait out the rest of the season and see what happens in the offseason. Maybe they can clear up some cap. Uh, maybe they can try and get Westbrook off the books and, and make another move for some more role players. Or I, I don't want to say say anything about LeBron declining because next year he might average 40 and it's just like, oh, LeBron's still yeah. so good. You're 20. Yeah. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with LeBron, but like I'm reading this right now. i seen this on ESPN earlier. Um, Brian Windhurst, is that his name? Windhorse, yeah. Windhorst, Brian Windhorst. Brian Windhorst, he said the Rockets – were considering or they were like actually like down to do a deal of John Wall and Christian Wood for Russell Westbrook, THT, and a 2027 first in the Lakers declined. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? If that's real, if that is real, why does Rob Fire everybody. Have a job? Fire <laughs> oh my gosh. Christian that, is, that that literally like that takes them if they made that happen that literally takes them from like ooh they might have to like be in the play in tournament to me that makes them you know you're you're going to be a playoff team you could probably get the 6 seed pretty easily and then from there you got lebron in the playoffs but if that is real and they said no to that deal that is absolutely terrible think about a starting lineup right now of John Wall, Malik Monk, LeBron James, Anthony Davis and Christian Wood. And even then, I think people forget that Christian Wood is still a, a good defender. He just doesn't care to play defense on the Rockets right now. That was one right. of the strengths that, that, as that, a player. That, that last stint in Detroit, the reason he got the contract that he did was because that last stint in Detroit that he had before he ended up on the Rockets, he looked great on defense. He was blocking dudes like crazy. Yep, and he's and so he, he, was a, he can he's a good play four spacer, a good scorer, a good rebounder, mm-hmm. and then John Wall. Granted, with all of his flaws and loss loss of burst and things, even last year he looked like a good defender too. Um, yeah, and you take John Wall at this point. You take John Wall over Russell Westbrook every day of the week, right? Like I would I don't take, think anyone. I would take I don't as like an overall player, like ability wise, but like on the Lakers, absolutely, I would take John Wall. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And bringing sure. Christian Wood with him. I mean, it's it feels unrealistic, but like Brian Windhorst was right about everything with the Brooklyn Nets and the Sixers. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I trust the guy, and that's just ridiculous to me. Like, what what are the Lakers doing? They had there has to be some tampering going on where they're like, yeah, we're just holding off to the off season because Kawhi Leonard said he's gonna join. There has right, to be something right. going on, bro. Because yeah. there's no way you decline that if you're the Lakers. And yeah, I mean. I wonder what LeBron has to do with this. Like, because everyone, like, the GM thing is kind of a meme at this point, but like, he had to have some say in, in some yeah. of it. And you think he won't, he still wants Westbrook? Like, is that a possibility? He's like, no, we're going to make, we're going to figure it out. Uh, I want Russ. <laughs> Don't trade no, him. I think, I think LeBron has made it pretty abundantly clear, both through his words and his actions, that, uh, He's 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 pretty much done with Russell Westbrook. I don't That's what I feel like. Yeah, I feel yeah. like it's become evidently clear that uh, it's just not going to work, and everyone knows. But um, yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting. I think the Lakers are kind of in a hole right now that they can't really get out of, and at least for this season. And I don't know. It's just I I don't see them as contenders. Like I I get the whole I don't either. No team wants to see LeBron and AD in a playoff series. Sure, but like, what basketball is played by more than two people? Malik Monk is good. Right. Austin Reeves is good. They can't hang with the Suns or the Warriors. 
Like people no. say that the Lakers' size would dominate the Warriors. I don't care if you have Manute Bull and Mark Eaton running the point guard. You, there's no size that can make up for the schematic, rotational, talent-wise, uh, and depth difference between the Warriors and the Lakers. It's just not going to happen. And the no. Suns are the most complete team in basketball right now. That's not going to happen. Can the Lakers – I mean, you don't want to see the Jazz because the Lakers have their, – their entire game is downhill and you're facing the best rim protector of the past 10 years. So you don't want to face right. the Jazz. So, what, Memphis? Even that's scary. Right, I mean, to me, right. I, Jaron Jackson Jr. is is literally one of the best defenders in the entire NBA. John Morant has proven last year he had he had one of the greatest uh, p- uh, playoff series performances that we've seen in a long time. One of the best playoff and debuts Desmond, ever. Yeah, Desmond Bain is looking like he could blossom into a really, really, really good second option. They've got so many good defenders on that team. That is not. I mean. I understand they're young and, and and things like playoff pedigree need to be taken into account. But if I'm the Lakers, I don't I still don't want to see them in the playoffs. That's terrifying. There's only for me one team that the Lakers would want to see in the playoffs. And that's the Mavericks. And they're not going yeah. to I don't see the Mavericks or the Lakers ending up in a situation where one of them has home court at this point. So no, it's like I don't see it either. It's a lost cause for the Lakers. Like maybe trying. I, I guess maybe try and match up with the Jazz and and run LeBron at the five and try and take Rudy Gobert. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. But it's like it, the Lakers at this point, I think this season is – I don't want to say as good as done, but I don't see them competing for anything seriously. I mean, the fact that we're even talking about a 26-30 and 30 team um, competing yeah. is just is just pretty ridiculous to me. Uh, granted, they have LeBron James, they have Anthony Davis, but it's like, come on. And – yeah, that's pretty much all I have from the Lakers. I did want to mention just a couple other trades. We don't we don't really have to get into the specifics. Just a couple moves I I did really like. Um, the first one being the Clippers getting Norman Powell and Robert Covington. I loved that move. Yes, they didn't really yeah, have to give up much. Uh, Keon Johnson, mm-hmm. sure, he's a great prospect. He's shown some some good athletic flashes. But in terms of uh, adding a movement shooter like Norman Powell to be a tertiary scorer next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and then having one of the best help defenders ever in Robert Covington not even an overstatement one of the best help defenders ever when you already have so many capable point of attack guys I think that's a huge move um for the Clippers who we don't know what Kawhi Leonard is going to look like when he gets back but no matter what he looks like they're going to be back to contending next season and yeah and and you don't have time to wait on a guy like Keon Johnson to develop if you've got if you've got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George you clearly clearly bought into the win now when you traded 47 picks with SGA right right um another move I liked was Karis LeVert going to the Cavs I think Karis LeVert kind of got labeled as a guy who scores and doesn't do much else like one of those ball don't stop guys but Karis yeah. and that's not, that's not a fair. That's not a fair categorization. He's a I agree. great playmaker. He's a very good yeah. playmaker, and we saw he, it uh, in his debut. He was he was operating really well as a as a yep. as a playmaker. And in Brooklyn, when when Kyrie got hurt and he had to take over the offense for for a lot of it mm-hmm. while while Dimwitty was on the bench, um, mm-hmm. he's he's just a phenomenal creator. And I think having someone who can run the offense like that when Garland's off the floor is huge because that's one of their holes right now without Sexton. They've, they've been having Rondo run the offense. They had Rubio for quite a bit, who's her, obviously, and traded now. But Karis LeVert is, is one of the only other, like, prominent creators of that offense. And staggering him in Garland will be huge. And he can play off of Garland yeah. as well as a scorer. Garland can play off the mm-hmm. ball, too. That That's a very good team as well. And 
Colin Sexton is, is extremely underrated in my opinion. I don't think he's a superstar by any means, but he was like the only offensive option Cleveland had last season and was putting up like a, a mildly efficient 25 a game or 24, whatever it was. He's a very good player too. So like uh, going forward, I view the Cavs as like perennial contenders three years from now. Um, yeah, for sure. Without 100%. Yeah. I had one 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 trade that I do want to talk about. If if you didn't have anything else on the on the Karis Levert trade, that's all. Yeah, um, I just wanted to gas them up real quick. The the last trade that I think is important for us to talk about, and we don't have to dwell on it too long because we're coming up on an hour here. But the Serge Ibaka to the Bucks trade. Yes. While Serge Ibaka hasn't been particularly, you know, great this year, um, Serge Ibaka. He is who he is. Um, he hasn't been great this year, and I don't think anyone's going to disagree with that, but he is still a 38% stretch big uh, from three. He can still play some interior defense fairly well. Um, he really hasn't been getting a ton of minutes in, in L.A., which is why I think they were totally cool with moving him. And to me, I think that's the perfect big man to replace Brooke Lopez for the time being. Uh, for Giannis to to play alongside. I love this trade for them. I think in terms of things that they realistically could have done, they moved Dante DiVincenzo, who is you know, somewhat of a redundancy to them. He hasn't been shooting very well this season at all. I'm pretty sure he was sub 30% from three, which is something that you need from Dante DiVincenzo because otherwise then he's just playing defense. Uh, so I think this is the perfect trade for them to just try one or two things to get better, especially if, if Brooke Lopez isn't coming back, then you've got a Brooke Lopez replacement. And they've already been so good this year, even without Brooke Lopez. So if Brooke Lopez does come back and he is still Brooke Lopez, you have Serge Ibaka coming off your bench or starting depending on how Brooke Lopez looks when he comes back. So for the Bucks, I love this trade. I think they did something to get better instead of sitting on their hands. And yeah, I think he's going to, I think he's going to do really, really well for them. Yeah. And I don't want to make this too long. Cause obviously you, like you said, we're past an hour now and we're going to have to wrap things up. But I mean, Sergi, you're not going to ask Sergi Baca to be Brooke Lopez. I mean, maybe Sergi Baca of a couple of years ago, but he's right. Sergi Baca is not the same level of defender he once was. And he's, he's not one of the better rim protectors in the league anymore, but like, no, not not even close. You you have Giannis, who's in my opinion uh, a top three defender in the entire NBA. Um, yes, and one of the best help defenders ever has extreme court coverage, rim protection ability, range, things like that. And you're taking a center essentially, uh, who he's going to play center, who can shoot almost forty percent from three, next to the guy who has the most rim gravity since Shaquille O'Neal. Mm-hmm. That is ridiculous, and. I don't even know if he'll get the start over Bobby Portis because this this last year's by Portis, he's looked like amazing. Like Portis has been yeah. awesome. And but even then, I mean, just having a guy who can come in and just play next to Giannis and just knock not knock down his shots when it's given given to him is just huge. That's exactly what you want. And who knows? Maybe we'll see some more of that defensive ability return when he's uh, only asked to really guard the pick and roll and protect the rim. Uh, not really has to do much because Milwaukee has such a good defensive cast. So it's like, right. 
I, I really agree that this is a great move, and especially if Ibaka's running all of his minutes next to Giannis, he'll be a very valuable piece to the team. Absolutely. So I think that's going to about wrap it up for today's episode. Uh, Be sure to leave a five-star rating if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week with another episode. Uh, Thanks for listening.